Hello again, friends, and welcome to a special Side Jobs edition of 151. My name is Adam. We are brought to you by Skeleton Wine. You can find out more about them at their website, skeletonwine.com, or on their Facebook page at Skeleton Vineyards. Go there, like their page, and it makes us look good. So that's the long and short of that. As for us, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr, all at 151 The Show. And we hope that you subscribe to our Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and every other channel we are associated with. Uh, joining me on the show tonight, a uh, special guest from the uh, warm, sunny uh, north that is Minnesota. He's a forensic geologist. Warm, no, sunny, yeah. <laughs> sunny, yes. <laughs> he is a forensic geologist. He's the uh, host of America on Earth. He uh, has the softest hands this side of the Mississippi. Friends, join me in welcoming Scott Walter to the show. Hey, Scott. How you doing, Adam? <laughs> it, it, is it a little frigid up there right now? Well, Jan and I just went to the store here about a half hour ago, and it was minus six. Oof. <laughs> so, and we had about six inches of snow last night. It's actually quite quite pretty, I mean, if you uh, think about it in that regard. Um, but the cold, I can live without. I, I, I'd like it a little warmer. <laughs> we just came off, uh, like, record low temperatures for Iowa uh, last week or the week before, and it was just, I mean, you walked outside and it was just suffocating. I know. Well, we had the same thing at our house on Tuesday night of last week, a week ago. Wait, what's today? Friday. I guess it was last week. Yeah, it was uh, minus 30. Everybody always says, why do you live there? Why do you live in a place where that your face hurts? And then you see the pictures <laughs> of, like, the giant because snake. summer... Because when, when spring comes, you're just so relieved, and it's just magical. And then when the leaves come out and the flowers bloom, it's really it's really beautiful because everything was completely gone. And then, you know, summers are great, and we, we can get up to 100 degrees and, and more. Not very often, but, you know, a few days of summer, we usually hit 100. And then fall is just spectacular. I love when the leaves turn and sunny it's it's brisk but it's it's beautiful and then of course we have winter which <laughs> makes you appreciate those other three seasons even more so well that's what i was saying i mean that meme it shows you know it goes why do i live in a place where that makes my face hurt and then it shows the giant snake climbing up the side of the house and it's like that's why <laughs> so yeah. it's nice so we like it here no absolutely i've got a buddy that lives up in duluth and he loves it up there so yeah uh scott uh before we get too far into this tonight i've, I've got a funny story for you it's one of those it's funny how life works out uh, stories for you last summer and as we talk about the weather <laughs> which I, I know that's why you came on this show uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, last summer we had uh, we had a night where we had ten inches of rain in about four hours. Oh my gosh! I've lived in the Midwest all my life, and one I've never seen it rain that hard, and I've never seen it rain that hard for that long. Jeez! So well, we, that's flash flood type of weather. Yeah, that's where this is kind of heading. We uh, the studio we use, and when I say studio, I mean my basement. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. But uh, uh, we had some flood damage, and as uh, you know, the summer went and fall and everything, and we got everything set up again, and we were able to start recording shows. I start putting together a list in my head of you know people I want to talk to, and I remembered you from a morning show I was a part of a couple years ago. You came on, uh, you were great on air, and uh, you were fascinating to listen to. And I was like, I want to listen. <laughs> I, I want to hear. I want to talk to that uh, to to him again. And it was one of those moments where I couldn't like. 
I knew exactly who you were, but I couldn't place your name. You, you know what I'm saying? Okay. So. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So I, I'm driving into work and I kind of file it away and it's like, okay, I'll look it up later and we'll get it sorted out. So I get into work and this is, I'm not kidding on any of this. Um, I get into work and I, I, uh, I'm getting my day going and I, I put on coast to coast in the background, right? And uh. <laughs> I just grabbed some random video at the top of their YouTube page. Uh, it said something about Knights Templar and Jimmy Church was hosting and he has this guy on and I start listening and I, I'm like, that voice sounds familiar. I, I think that's him. And then they brought up something about the Kensington Rune Stone. I'm like, oh my God, I, that's him. So I looked up, you know, your name, and I'll be damned if that wasn't you. <laughs> yep, yep. No, Jimmy Church is a good friend, and I've been on Coast to Coast a number of times, and, you know, Jimmy will call, and we'll get on there, and we just have a good time talking about whatever, you know, but we end up invariably talking about, about the Templars in America, and, you know, it's a fascinating subject for people, and, you know, when we talk about the evidence that supports that premise, it's... It's basically bulletproof, but yet, you know, the standard uh, academic world just won't even talk about it, let alone embrace what is obvious. Part of me finds that disappointing, and part of me finds that to be ironic. I mean, it's like, what are they afraid of? I know what they're afraid of. There's a couple things that they're afraid of, but it's just, it's amazing how if it doesn't fit the accepted narrative, you know, you just get put on ice and, you know, shut down, and, and it's... It's it's really it's really strange when to me it's self evident and obvious and the evidence is just all around us and the status quo just won't uh, won't even touch it. This is interesting because this is uh, something I wanted to ask you about a little bit later in the interview. But you know, since we're here, why is it that uh, that history? Of all the different subjects out there, you know, like something comes up in mechanical engineering and it's like, oh, it's a better way of doing it or we discovered something. Hey, that's cool. Uh, astronomy and, and, and chemistry and every other thing, it's like something new comes up and it's like, okay, cool, we can accept that. History, something comes up and they're like, no, sorry, that's just not the way. It... <laughs> yeah, but there's evidence yeah. here. Yeah, no, sorry, we don't care. Why is it anybody messes with history and all of a sudden it's like, no, sorry, we're, we're not doing that. There's actually a lot of reasons. Um, part of it is, you know, people, in, especially in academia, who have staked their reputations and their careers on a particular narrative or some aspect of that narrative. And all of a sudden, you, you have something that completely changes that narrative and really puts their work, for lack of a better, <laughs> in the garbage dump. I mean, it's it, it just completely makes it invalid you know, i guess yeah, me? it's not that it really makes it invalid but it's like you discovered something new just learn it and go with it why why is it like no we're not even going to read about it we're not going to accept it and we're not going to do anything with it well I, I, the <laughs> other the other problem is is that when you start to accept that the templars carved and placed you know the kensington runestone as a land claim mm -hmm. that the newport tower was built by the Templars uh, as part of establishing a settlement. You've got the Spirit Pond runestones, you've got the Narragansett runestone, you've got the Westford Knight, you've got the Boat Stone, you got... I mean, there's just all kinds of things that are staring people in the face. Mm -hmm. We've put them in their proper context. The evidence is conclusive and, and really tells a different narrative about how this country was founded. 
but what happens is once you start to accept something like the runestone, you trigger a series of dominoes okay. that go to inconvenient places <laughs> that certain entities like the Roman Catholic Church doesn't want to go. Um, there are, are elements within our government that don't want to go there. I mean, the runestone is a land claim, right? Yeah. Well, no, can't be a land claim because the whole narrative with Christopher Columbus and Manifest Destiny and, and that whole, you know, crock of you-know-what is, is what our history is supposed to be. And anything that flies in the face of that is not acceptable. So that's that's part of it. But really, even, you know, the people that are pushing back here are starting to, to lose traction because things are becoming so obvious. I mean, the evidence trail of the Templars founding America, turning turning the job over to their uh, ideological ancestor or uh, descendants, mm-hmm. the uh, Freemasons, and, oh, gee, last I checked, let's, let's see, our country was founded by George Washington. He was a Mason. Ben Franklin, he was a Mason. Thomas Jefferson. He was a Mason. Some people don't think so, but he was. Paul Revere and, and all the rest of them. They were all Mason. They knew about the Kensington Runestone. They knew about that land claim. What is so obvious and just punching people in the face, historians never talk about the obvious, right? And I'll tell you what it is. What are a couple of the main tenets of our Constitution? Freedom of religion, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, Politically, you might wonder what happened to that these days, but that was one of the reasons that our country was founded. Why? Because they were sick and tired of the oppression of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, what group suffered tremendously from the persecution of the Roman Catholic Church? The Knights Templar, for God's sake, right? Okay, do you see a connection there? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, okay. I'll tell you the other one. Okay. What was the other? What was the? Who did we fight for our independence? England. England, right? <laughs> yes. The crown, the king and queen, right? The monarchs of Europe. Those trumpet eating. Executed the Knights Templar, the King of France, and England. I mean, are you seeing the connective dots here? Yeah, it, it's one of those things that it's like I, I just like you brought up Christopher Columbus a little bit ago, and there's parts of me that sometimes that it's like, how is that still a thing? Oh well, you know, Columbus, you know, discovered North America. Did he? I mean, really? Wait, 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 Adam. You mean that guy that never set foot on the continent that already had millions of people living here? Yeah. That guy. Yeah. What about oh, okay. those guys? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's 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 ridiculous, right? I mean, it's just, it's stupid if you stop and think about it, but this has been the narrative for a long time. Now, we also have to acknowledge that that narrative is slowly but surely changing, right? I mean, some states have adopted Indigenous People's Day for instead of Columbus. And I, I think that's fantastic because, you know... <laughs> Columbus didn't even talk to the natives except down in the, well... In you the, found in, an in island, sir. And in the islands, but he, he was a ruthless... Um, you he can committed s- genocide against those people. He was horrible. You can say it. He was an asshole. He was. He was an asshole. <laughs> and he was greedy. He was a greedy asshole, too. And it's just... Well, he was. I mean, if you go back and you look at one of the documents that shows that he was connected to one of those Masonic-like orders, although he was still 
but um, he had he wrote something called the Book of Privileges. I think it was in 1506, which basically outlined everything that the the king and queen of Spain owed him for his work. You know, with his four trips and. I mean, he was just a greedy SOB, and, you know, we, we lionize this guy like he's some type of a hero. He's no hero, and believe you me, he knew all about the New World, because the Templars had already been there centuries before he, before him, and he borrowed maps from people like this, the uh, descendants of the Sinclairs. He knew exactly what, what was going on. He discovered nothing. Scott Walter, forensic geologist, uh, joining me on the show. Uh, you probably know him best from America on Earth. Uh, his worth work on the Kensington Runestone, excuse me, uh, the Freemason stuff. Uh, got some books out there, which we'll put all this information at the bottom of the page. Scott, um, we kind of <laughs> we kind of dove right into the deep end of all this, which is pretty awesome. As you are new to our audience, uh, I want to backtrack just a little bit because you you bring up some stuff, but I, I think it needs a little bit of context for uh, some of the people sure, listening. Sure. Let's start with the easy one. What exactly is a forensic geologist? Well, basically what I do is autopsies on concrete and rock primarily. Okay. So, for example, if, uh, if a you know, concrete slab cracks where they didn't expect it, or it has low strength, or the top peels off, or there's some type of failure with, uh, you know, a concrete slab. They will take samples, they'll send them to me, we will do our forensic work, and then what we'll do is tell them what happened. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the the follow-up question is, who's responsible? (laughs) So we get involved in a lot of uh, legal litigation. I testify as an expert witness quite often. And um, so I'm used to that world. So, of course, we look at rock. We look at the aggregates that go into concrete prior to when it goes into the mixtures. And we qualify its use as aggregate before it ever goes into the mix. And so that's the kind of work that we do. It's all forensic work. The reason I sort of got into this other world that ended up getting me into, into TV was the Kensington Runestone came into our lab in 2000. And I was asked to perform a forensic study on it. I never heard of the runestone. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't understand there was this forbidden history. I didn't understand any of that crap. Mm -hmm. So I did my work. I did a tombstone study. I compared the weathering of the inscription with the weathering of tombstones, same minerals, same grain size, same weathering environments, and I concluded that it was old. Wow. Well, I, again, I just did this in a vacuum, right? No, I, and, I'm sorry. That was one of those things. It's like, oh, it's old. Way to go, Scott. Yeah, well, it, <laughs> it was old. And I just went, well, good for you. Therefore, it can't be a late 19th century hoax, as everybody claimed. I found out later. And I said it was genuine. And, oh, my God, that's when the that's when the <laughs> hit the fan. <laughs> <laughs> for the people that, you know, we're, we're talking about the Kensington Rune Center. Obviously, I've heard you talk about this before. In short, what is it and why is it important? Well, the runestone uh, <clears throat> was found by a Swedish immigrant farmer in the fall of 1898 who was clearing trees in preparation for farming when he tipped over this 30-year-old tree with his two sons and tightly wrapped in the roots of the tree underneath it was this 202-pound stone with a long inscription carved in runes, Scandinavian runes. But there's other characters on there that really add to the mystery, but essentially what it says is eight Goss and 22 Northmen on this acquisition business or taking up land from Vinland, 
far to the west. We had a camp near two shelters, one day's journey north from the stone. We were fishing one day. After we came home, found ten men red from blood and death. AVM, three Latin letters. Uh, and then the last line on the face says, save from evils. Then on the split side of the stone, split because it was a larger slab of rock, the carver split down to these sacred dimensions of two to one. On the split side, it says, there are 10 men by the inland sea uh, with our ships, 14 days journey from this island, year 1362. 1362. Yep, 1362 doesn't fit the narrative. This is 130 years before Chris, right? Yeah. And this is back in 1898, so it must be a hoax, and it was summarily declared a hoax. Now, the the linguists at the time were able to make out much of the inscription, but not all of it. And we know now that a lot of what they couldn't figure out is because we're talking about the Templars who interacted with Arabs during the Crusades, and there are things like pentatic numbers on the runestone, which are Arabic in origin. How the hell did they get on the Kensington runestone? You don't see this in Scandinavian runes, uh, runestones over in Scandinavia. So they just didn't know what to do with it. And the easy thing is, instead of admitting you don't know, they just said it's a hoax and made it go away. So back in the year 2000, this thing comes to you. Who brought it to you and why? Well, the, the runestone is currently housed at a, a small museum up in Kensington, or up in Alexandria, Minnesota, which is 15 miles from Kensington, roughly, you know, the farm where it was found. Yeah. The farm now where it was found is a county park. You can go up there. It's absolutely beautiful. But the stone is in the museum, and they were the ones that came to me and asked me if I would do the forensic study. So you do this study, you f- figure out that it is, in fact, old, and it, it essentially shouldn't be there. What happened after? Well, I got blasted. <laughs> <laughs> by people I didn't even know. And, you know, well, this is, you know, you're a kook. You don't know what you're talking about. This thing's a fake and blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, it isn't. And then I said, look, you know, I- I'm a scientist. If you don't agree with the work that I did, tell me where I messed up or ask me questions. I mean, I have no problem. Yeah. Um, I'm not perfect. I may have made a mistake. And, and the, you know, the important thing is it's not about me being right. It's about getting the right answer. I mean, that's what I have to do. I mean, some of the work that I do, um, we did all the work on the fire damaged concrete at the Pentagon after 9-11. You know, people have died on projects I've worked on. It, it, it's, this, isn't, this isn't kidding around, right? I take my work very seriously, and I took my work on the runestone very seriously. So I said, look, tell me, tell me where I screwed up. And, and my work was peer-reviewed by eight geologists. I knew, I, I knew it was good, but that's not what I heard. It was, well, you're an idiot, you're a fraud, <laughs> you know, I mean, all this stuff. And, you know, at first I was puzzled and then I got pissed and uh, I said, okay, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. I want to understand what the hell the problem is. So I took five trips to Sweden to look for the evidence the rock told me had to be there. Okay. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because rocks... Rocks don't have agendas. Rocks don't have personalities. They don't have egos. They just are. I trust the rocks. I don't always trust people. And the rock told me it was real. Therefore, that means, if it's real, that everything in that inscription has to be consistent with the 14th century, because that's the date that's on it, 1362. So I went over to Sweden five different times over a period of two and a half years, from 2003 to 2005. 
and I found everything. And and I became a pretty, you know, I'm not going to call myself a linguist, but I, you know, I, I, I worked with some of the top linguists in the world and runologists, and I get it, okay? I understand yeah. the history of how these runes developed and why in medieval times the language was coalescing and all these different things. So I educated myself, and I found everything. And, of course, you would think, well, gee, they must have been happy that you found it. No, that pissed them off even more because I had the nerve to go in their backyard to look look for and find what they were too lazy to go look for. But you got to remember, they assumed it was a hoax. Why bother? I knew it was real. That's why I went. And I knew I'd find it if I looked. You don't find anything sitting around talking about it. you got to get off your ass and go look. Scott Walter, uh the expert on the Kensington runestone. Is it cool to call you an expert on the Kensington runestone? Um, yes, absolutely. Okay. And I, I don't say that to be braggadocious. It's just a fact. I've written four books. I got a brand new book coming out where it, either it was the central focus or plays a large role. But you have to understand something. The Kensington runestone is arguably the most important historical artifact in the history of our country because it was the beginning of the founding of this country, and it's vitally important. The problem is, is it opens up an enormous chapter of history that a lot of people don't want to talk about, most notably the Catholic Church. I mean, the Templars were aligned with the Catholic Church and pretended to be Catholic, but they weren't. They were goddess, they, they venerated the sacred feminine. They were dualists, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and they pretended to be Catholic just to be politically expedient. You ever heard that phrase, keep your friends close, your enemies closer? Yeah, Godfather, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, it, look, they're not the first. They're not the first ones to come up with that plan. Let me tell you. But I mean, it's it's really um, it's an incredible story. But it's you know, it wasn't that difficult to figure out. I have to be honest with you. The trail to the Templars, starting with the runestone, was arguably the easiest evidence trail I've ever followed, and it went to them and only them. And everything fits, and that's how forensics work. If you have a piece of data hanging out there that doesn't fit the thread, you're not there yet. This one is cohesive, it's consistent, there's voluminous evidence, and it's obvious. And it's only a matter of time before the truth is going to come out. But it's happening. I guess the reason that I push so hard is because of the attacks that I endured, and I still endure. But maybe it's the fact that I was I played linebacker in college. I just I don't back down. I'm just not going to put up with it. Well, we're going to talk about that part later because I actually I wanted to talk football with you. <laughs> actually. All right, let's do it, man. Uh, Scott Walter, forensic geologist, uh, host of America Unearthed, expert on the Kensington Runestone. Is there a part of you, and this is going to be kind of a weird question, but you know, late at night when you're laying in bed or whatever, it's like, I may be a person that's helping change the history of this country. Well, I don't know. I hear people <laughs> say that kind of stuff. I don't dwell on those kind of things because, you know, I... I, I the way I look at life is, you know, we all came into this world with nothing, and we're going to go out with nothing, right? And I just want people to say nice things at my funeral. You know, I, I, I feel very fortunate. I have a wife who still finds me interesting after 33 years. My kids still call me and hang out with us. And, you know, I have a lot of great friends, and I can still play basketball and run around, and I, I, my joints aren't broken. I mean, I, I, I'm a, one of the luckiest guys in the world. And, 
you know, I, I get to do this wonderful TV show, and I have nothing to complain about. I'm, I'm very, very fortunate, and you know, I, and and to be able to work on meaningful projects like the Runestone and the Newport Tower and all these other things, I just want to get it right. I want it to be acknowledged. I want the history to be uh, accepted for what it is, and. You know, there's a lot of people that have been behind these artifacts and sites. I mean, one of my closest friends in the world is the grandson of the guy who found the runestone, Darwin Ullman. And he's one of the most wonderful people that I've had the pleasure to, to know in my life. And I've seen the, the impact on his family over the years and, and historically over what happened with the runestone, accusing Olaf of finding this, which is just complete nonsense. And, you know, the, the, the suicides that have been in that family do in part to the harassment that the family received. Really? And it's not right. And I'm just going to fight till I'm done to make sure that the truth is known and that these people are exonerated because they had nothing to do with it. And it's, it, it's, terrible the way they've been treated. Uh, Scott Walter uh, joining me on a special Side Jobs edition of 151. You can go to 151theshow.com or the station's website.com uh, to find out more about all this. We'll have all of Scott's information at the bottom of the page. Uh, I want to head over to the world of America Unearthed, if you don't mind. Yeah. How did that show come around? Because I was, th- as I was getting ready for this interview and kind of rewatching some of it, that's originally how I you know, found out about you. How does a show like that come around? Was that something you pitched to H2, or was that, hey, we've got an idea for a show, and we think Scott Walter would be the, you know, the man who changed North American history right. would be perfect for it? Well, it, it started with the Runestone, of course. And, yeah. Um, I remember back in, God, this must have been 2007, uh, a reporter for WCCO-TV, or uh, uh, WCCO-TV, came to my office to interview me about a murder case that we had worked on where we had helped uh, identify a murder victim who was found buried in a shallow grave in the desert outside of uh, Las Vegas, totally encased in concrete. And that's that's an amazing story in itself, but she came in to interview me and she saw a poster of the runestone uh, hanging in my office that I had got when I was over in one of my trips to Sweden. Uh, I spoke at a conference over there and she said, oh, have you studied the Kinsina runestone? And I laughed and I said, sit down. This is going to take a while. <laughs> I don't know so if you anyway, know this or not. I've changed North American history. <laughs> no, no. no but anyway... I I said, sit down and we'll talk about it. So when I got done, she went home and told her husband, who is Andy Oz, uh, they were in the process of starting a production company, but she was still working at CCO at the time. So ironically, that Saturday, I had a lecture in town here in Chanhassen at the library about the Runestone, and he came to hear it. And then afterwards, he and I and Janet went out to lunch, and he said, God, this would make a great documentary. You know, let's raise some money and, and let's do it. And I don't know why I, I did it. It was it was kind of a silly idea when I think back <laughs> about it. But we raised one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and Andy and his production crew put together a four and a half minute, you know, pitch reel, and they went to real screen where all the networks go a couple times a year, and shows get pitched to them, and they pitched it, and six networks wanted it, and history ended up paying the most, and they. You know, they were doing H2 at the time. That was their other network. So they wanted us to be on the new network. And so that's how we got on there. And we did we did three seasons. 
we finished as the number one show and ratings were going up and we were all set to do a season four when history sold uh, H2 to Viceland. And, you know, we were never canceled. A lot of people say, well, your show was canceled. No, we were not canceled, ever. We were on the upswing. But what happened was, I remember my agent said, well, I don't know a network that doesn't renew its number one show. He said, they will move you over to big history. And, yeah. you know, that's where your new home will be. So anyway, while they were talking about all that, I ended up doing another show for history. They asked me to help out a, a show that had kind of stagnated because they couldn't get permits to dive. But it was a show called Pirate Treasure of the Knights Templar. And they said, could you bring some Templar content? Well, I was doing research, and <laughs> I said, well, sure. Well, where do you want to go, Scott? Well, let's go to Jerusalem. Let's go to Portugal. Let's go to India. Let's, you know, I mean, it was literally like that. And fortunately, we were able to, I think, generate some really, really good content. And unfortunately, though, there were some political things that happened with that show with uh, Barry Clifford, and they didn't renew it. But we did six episodes, and it was a lot of fun. And and then uh, as we were finishing that, my agent called me, and he said, history has decided not to renew your show. And I said, well, why not? And he said, because he said your show is too smart for history. And I said, oh. <laughs> and then I went through their lineup, and I have to say, I think he was right. Well, it had to be aliens. <laughs> You know, it's so funny. You know what I get asked about every single friggin' day? What's that? The Oak Island Show. You know what? I, I I was going to ask you about it, but I could never figure out if you were actually a part of that show or... Never. Or, never. And I never will. Because it's a fake show. Okay, because... There's nothing, there's nothing on that island. The brothers know it. The network knows it. But they have got a ratings monster on their hands... So they throw anything and everything up against the wall. They never close the loop on anything because they may want to go back to it. And it's just ridiculous. I've been asked to be on that show three times. And I said no every time. I care about my credibility. When I was getting ready to do this this interview, I, you know, I, I was thinking about the Oak Island stuff. And... I, then I stumbled across an, uh, it's some it was an article and it had you know a couple quotes from you that you weren't allowed to talk about the show because you were still kind of affiliated with them and you know some kind of stuff like that. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna just drop this. But when I was I can talk about anything I want, and I'm you know the one thing that I will never do is anybody. <laughs> I'm gonna tell the truth the way it is, and you know I don't appreciate some of the things that they've done on that show like pretend to find a hooked X and use, you know, the research that I've developed to try to further their show. And what they found on that show was clearly planted. <clears throat> and I told them, I told Prometheus, I said, don't do that crap. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I just, I can't tolerate that. I think the reason that people watched our show and, and have supported the work that I've done is because I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, pop, I don't do, I just don't. I will tell you the truth, and I will tell you if I don't know, I'll tell you if I think it's real, I'll tell you if I don't think it's real. And, I, you know, I'm sorry if you don't like it, but I've been doing that for 33 years. That's my job. I will tell you this about That's that it. show. 
whenever I do watch it, I always like get to the end and I go, why did I watch this? They, it's always, hey, hey, we may have found something in the uh, the big giant hole in the earth. Okay, let's send a diver down. Oh, guess what? It was just a rock, or it was a pile of soil, or something. Well, why? You know, <laughs> you know. I mean, that does happen. Okay, I mean, there are times that we've looked at things and it turns out to be nothing, right? Yeah. But it can't be every single time for six years. Well, it's like the I ghost mean, shows. Good God, if they've done anything, they've proven there's nothing there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's that or it's really well hidden, guys. You may want to stop dumping money into this thing. There's nothing. Look, the whole thing with the flood tunnels, really, yeah. it's called the water table. Anytime you dig below the level of the ocean, it's a island on the ocean yeah. no <laughs> dig below the water table it's gonna fill in i mean for god's sakes it's so basic but you know i mean i would just go on there i'd buzz kill everything now, let me ask you this let me okay. ask you this do you think that those guys are the first ones to walk those beaches with a metal detector oh absolutely not really so what does that mean that- i don't believe any of that stuff is real they go to France and they see this amazing craft, and then they, two weeks later they go to the island. Oh, look what we found! Oh, oh, amazing! It's the same cross. <laughs> really, <laughs> really, and you, people buy it. It's like, no, they oh do. I was saying a second ago. It's kind of like the ghost shows. You don't all. Whenever you go ghost hunting, you don't always find something. And a, <laughs> right. and a majority of the time, when you go ghost hunting, it's just you sitting in the dark talking to a recorder. That yeah. that's yeah. the reality of it. I mean, yeah, every once in a while you may stumble across something that you can't explain. That doesn't mean it's sure. paranormal, but that that just it just doesn't happen like that. But staying with your show, yeah. a, a question I actually had because I was going through the episode list and I mean, you you covered everything, you know, uh Runestone stuff, you Ark of the Covenant, uh Bigfoot I think was in there. And so on and yeah, so forth. Yeah, I wasn't wild about doing the Bigfoot episode until they said you could go to Nepal, and I'm like, oh my God, that's like the holy grail of geology, right? So I said, I'm in. <laughs> well, that's well, that's what I wanted to ask you about it. When you do a show like that, and you have so many different topics, is that all yeah. stuff you wanted to do? Like, did you have control over that, or was it, hey, you can go do, you know, the story about the Templars, but we need you to go to Nepal to do a Bigfoot story? Like, how right. does that work? The reality is the episodes that we do are, are um, <clears throat> I'd say, probably a third what I call my stuff, the stuff that ideas I bring to them. <clears throat> the other third is the production company, and then the other third is the network. And, you know, I didn't bring Bigfoot to them, but they brought it to me. And I, I remember telling myself, I'm never going to do an episode on Bigfoot. That's just dumb. <laughs> but then I thought about it, and I go, Okay, I ask people to be open-minded about my stuff. I guess turnabout is fair play. And then, of course, you know, Nepal was was a huge draw, and I'm like, okay, I, I, I you know, and it was a fantastic trip. I mean, I'll, it was one of the highlights of my life. And the other thing I said is, you know, look, if if unless I see a skeleton or a body or I shake Bigfoot's hand, I'm going in a skeptic. I'm going out as skeptic, right? Yeah, which is a good way to um, do and, that stuff. Well, and that's the way that's the way it went. But I, and I'm not sitting here saying that there isn't a Bigfoot. I'm just skeptical of it. I have not seen the evidence for it. I can tell you this: I talked to people when I did that show 
that I 100% believe that they believe they saw Bigfoot. Okay. That doesn't mean they did, but they believe they did. That was very compelling. So at the end of the day, the answer is, is there a big, is, is, is big Bigfoot real? I don't know. I didn't prove it either way. Scott, uh, you know, with Bigfoot in mind and, uh, uh, you know, going on shows like Coast to Coast, talking to dudes like, you know, Jimmy Church and, and so on and so forth, you get kind of thrown into that world of the weird. I, I, it's not the best way to say it. Yeah, but that's, yeah that's kind no, of... de- definitely. Um, but you know what? It's, uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think people tend to pigeonhole people into broad categories, and sometimes it's fair and sometimes it's not. You know, these these venues give us an opportunity to get our message out mm-hmm. and to educate people about what we think is important. And I think, you know, for the most part, people respect the work that we do, and I wouldn't do it if I thought that it was hurting my credibility. My customers yeah. enjoy the show, and look, they're smart people. They're all engineers and scientists, and, and they're not stupid. And, and if I was doing something that they thought was dumb, they wouldn't hire me. I care very much about my credibility. But, you know, if we end up going to conferences with people that are doing fringy stuff, um, that's their business. Yeah. Um, and, and my business is my business. The people that I've interacted with in, at these conferences have all been really good people. You know, they're out there doing what they are passionate about and they feel is important. And I can't criticize them for that. Well, you bring up a good term, the, you know, kind of fringy stuff, and that, that, that sounds better than me saying the world of the weird, but, you know, the question... Well, I w- fringe is, you know, what is fringe? What does that mean? I mean, to some people, it's a negative, it has a negative connotation, but it's, it's getting into the area of the controversial yeah. uh, subject matter. I mean, the Kensington Runestone is wildly controversial. Now, it isn't to me... To me, it's self-evident what it is and, and, and all of that, but to a lot of other people, the whole idea that the Templars came here, they just don't understand it. Talk to the Native Americans. They know about the Templars. They call them their blood brothers. They shared a similar ideology, and that's why they had success here, and they were able to keep it quiet. I mean, when settlement happened, what happened to the Natives? They were killed, in part due to the fact that they knew the true history here, and they and, and and conveniently for certain entities in our government and the Roman Church, getting rid of the natives was helped their cause. Yeah, and it's terrible. I mean, it's a it's a horrible thing, and I think that we need to acknowledge what happened. We need to apologize and move forward. The natives know, and they still know, and they're they're ready to talk. We just need to listen. Scott Walter, forensic geologist, host of America Unearthed. Just kind of the, uh, it's kind of the fun question with this, but, you know, with those fringy subjects, is there another one out there that you're maybe not studying every day, but uh, have a passing interest in it? You know, whether it is, you know, the cryptozoology, whether it is, you know, paranormal or ufology or, you know, something out there in that kind of area. Is there one of those subjects that does kind of grab your attention? Well, I I have to admit that the, the whole concept of aliens, I find extremely interesting. I mean, you go to these ancient native cultures, you know, the Mayans, the Mesoamerican cultures, they all had a belief or some type of connection with extraterrestrials. And it's not just them. This is something that's found around the world. And while I haven't seen evidence to convince me of it yet, 
I'm certainly open-minded to it. I mean, if you stop and just look at the numbers and how vast the universe is, could there be another planet that sustains life? I think there's probably millions of planets in the galaxy that are capable of sustaining life. It doesn't mean they all do, but there's got to be at least one other one there or maybe a certain number. And where are they along in their evolutionary history? Have they developed the ability to to travel across across you know the galaxy? Maybe I, it's fun to think about. I, I was always a huge fan of Star Trek and uh, you know things like time travel. I mean, maybe there's technology that our government has already developed that they haven't shared with us. Maybe they developed it a long time ago and they haven't shared it with us. Those kinds of things are certainly possible. It'd be fun to know more. I'm sure there is more. Well, I always thought about it. You know, you think about atomic bomb. That's almost a hundred years ago in technology. Yeah. yeah. Think about what you know. What we haven't doled out. You know, because we haven't needed to. You know what I'm saying? Well, the, the other thing is, is that if you think about our <clears throat> our military, you know, the technology and the planes and the helicopters and the boats and and everything that our military has that we know of today. That's all 15, 20, 25-year-old technology. Yeah. Um, what, what they have now, we're not going to find out about for another 20, 25 years. What do they have? And what do they have that they're never going to tell us about? I'm confident there's something else there. I just don't know what it is. Yeah. Uh, Scott, as we uh, start getting towards the, uh, the end of this, I, I feel like I've talked your ear off tonight. Um, what do you got going on right now? What have you been working on? Well, I can tell you that I am working on a TV project um, that I'm very excited about. I can't say anything yet, but I think that um, when it is uh, announced, I think people are going to be excited. I think they're going to. Um, I think they're going to watch it. I can tell you that I'm excited that there is going to be some things that will be revealed that will literally make people. <laughs> um, I don't know what it's going to do. It's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be nuts, but, um, I think people are really going to like it. So I'll just tease you with that. And, uh, uh, next time we talk, I'll be able to, to go into a lot more detail. Hey, one thing I would like to do is I'd like to, to, uh, give a shout out to a couple of good friends of mine, Mike Arbuthnot and Blue Nelson. They have a six part series that's going to premiere on science channel uh, Monday night. And, uh, you know, Mike was a regular guest on America on earth and he's a, uh, a super guy. He's a, a wonderful archeologist. He's, he's a, he's a great TV personality. And blue Nelson is a guy that I met when, uh, he did a show called found, which was an outgrowth of America on earth. And he's, uh, uh, he served in our military. He's, uh, just a really smart guy. He's an archaeologist, and he's just a really good guy. And the two of them go on this quest for Vikings, Vikings in America. And I know a little bit about some of the things that they looked into, and I think it'll be a good show. So Monday night, you guys should check that out. Perfect. Uh, Scott, I know you've got some books out there. We'll put, uh, uh, where's the best place to get your books? And if Probably you... my website. Anybody, okay. you can get my books on Amazon, but if you go to the website, which is www.hookedx.com, H-O-O-K-E-D-X.com, um, I sign every book that's bought off that, off the site. So check that out. And I have a new book that's coming out here very soon. It's called 
cryptic code of the Templars in America, Origins of the Hooked X. Okay. So might be the best thing I've done yet. If if someone is just listening to all this for the first time tonight, which of your books would probably be the best place to start? I would say The Hooked X, Key to the Secret History of North America. Okay. That, that's the, because I, I do sort of a brief overview of the runestone. My first book on in this material was the Kensington runestone, Compelling New Evidence, but that's that 574-page tome that goes into excruci- excruciating detail but it, it proves the case. But the Hooked X has a summary of all that and then goes into the new stuff, and uh, I, I think that's the place to start. All right, perfect. HookedX.com. I'll put a link to it at the bottom of the page. All right, the final thing uh, before I, I let you go for the night, you're a football guy. I did not know yeah. this. I did not know this about you until the other day when I was uh, watching one of your your uh, talks. I went to Duluth, University of Minnesota Duluth, a Division two school on a on a football scholarship, and played four years up there. Uh, won a couple championships. I had a wonderful experience up there. I had a really tough coach, but he was he was great. And uh, his name is Jim Malosky. The stadium is up in Duluth is now named after him. And then I played four years of minor league ball for the Minneapolis Lumberjacks later, <laughs> later, long after college, but I played four years and I had a wonderful time. We won one championship there in the Metrodome and um, I live to tell about it. So, uh, and then I played years of touch football and flag football. I still play flag with my son and his team. So, um, yeah, football has been a big part of our life. We're season ticket holders. And, you know, when I talk about different things i use football metaphors all the time and uh i just think it's uh i think it's the greatest sport ever i mean i i think we need to do things to make it safer but um you know it's you get a lot of people involved you got just every every type of person the big the big guys the little guys and everything in between we got a we got a place for everybody in that game and uh i just think it's wonderful who's your team Minnesota Vikings, man. Okay, so you are a season ticket holder for the Vikings, huh? I am a season ticket holder. My wife and I go to all the games, and uh, we're long-suffering Viking fans, but <laughs> one of these years they're going to do it. <laughs> I was going to say. And yes, I'm sick and tired of the Patriots. <laughs> you know what? There's part of me that doesn't mind wa- uh, watching the Patriots win because there's something about the bad guy winning now. And if you really think about it, everybody hates the, the Patriots for the reason that they're good. You know? Well, they, you know, I mean, I, I have a lot of friends in that area, and of course they're all gaga over the Patriots, and I find ways to, to, to give them crap, but I mean, you have to appreciate the success that they've had, and as good as Tom Brady is, uh, and I give him a lot of credit, the guy that, you know, the guy that stirs that drink is, uh, the straw in that drink is, is Belichick, and you know, what he does is he'll take players that have been abandoned by other teams, that were, you know, players that were uncoachable. And by the time they get there, they, they, they realize that it's the system. It's not about you. And, you know, I've always been one of these guys where, you know, if you're a running back or a wide receiver and you score a touchdown, act like you've been there, okay? Yeah. I hate to break it to you, but your job is to score touchdowns, all right? You know, I'm old school that way, and... Everybody has to do their job, and the offensive linemen are the reason that you guys get all the attention that you get. And Belichick knows that if he's going to, you know, you can't throw a touchdown pass laying on your back. you got to have offensive linemen to protect Brady 
and and that's why he's so successful. But they don't get the credit, and they don't care. They just wear those rings. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> whenever you make fun of the Patriots fan, do they just hold up six rings for you? Yeah. Can you hold on a sec here? I'm, I, can you hold my ring for me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Walter. No, you got to give him. You got to give him credit. Well, you know what? The other reason I kind of like the the Patriots is because uh, my team, the Iowa Hawkeyes. Kirk Ferentz is a Belichick guy. He comes from that coaching tree. Oh, okay. He's from that coaching tree, huh? Yeah, him and uh, Saban and a couple other ones. So uh, it's a dynasty in uh, in real time. So enjoy it because it will end at some point. Yes, it will. Scott Walter, forensic geologist, host of America Unearthed. Uh, thank you so much for coming on tonight. I appreciate it. You're a fascinating guy. And also, thank your wife for me, uh, Janet. She's just awesome at getting this yes, stuff scheduled is. and stuff. So I uh, really appreciate it. Yes, she does it all. I always tell people, if you want to get me, contact her. <laughs> yeah. She'll make it happen. You know, right? as busy as she talked about you being, I mean, do you guys, other than going to Vikings games, you're taking her out, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, we spend a lot of time together. We get along great. And, uh, you know, I could—I I mean, you can always do more for your wives, that's for sure. But I, I, I sure try. Good deal. Scott, thank you so much for coming on tonight. I appreciate it. All man. right. Well, thanks, Adam. Let's do it again, okay? Perfect. Again, we'll have all of Scott's information at the bottom of the page. Go check it out and enjoy his material. This has been a special Side Jobs edition of 151. We're brought to you by Skeleton Wines. You can find out more about them at their website, skeletonwine.com, or on their Facebook page, at Skeleton Vineyards. That's for us. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr, all at 151 The Show. And don't forget to subscribe to our Podbean iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, Google, and every other channel we're a part of. That's going to do it for us this time around. If you missed anything, always head to 151theshow.com or thisstationswebsite.com. We'll see you next time, friends. Bye.